Right, my topic today is everyday repentance. And the main text I'm going to use is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which I'll come back to a few times as we go through. I don't know if you were following at the beginning of the year you get all kinds of people do, you know, what was the thing of 2016. And the Oxford English Dictionary decided that the word of 2016 was post-truth. The idea that actually truth doesn't matter so much as really what you want to think, if I understood it correctly. Of course, this is nothing new. You had, immediately after the Second World War, George Orwell's uh, 1984 and Newspeak, where words could be twisted to mean what the uh, government in power wanted them to mean at that time. And again, that was nothing new, because you've got, uh, uh, in Alice in Wonderland, you've got, I forget which character it says, you know, when I use a word, it means what I want it to mean. So the idea has been around for an awful long time and you can probably trace it back an awful lot further. However, we are people who think that actually truth does matter and we want to know what things do mean. The issue we often come across though is that uh, the Bible was not written in English and we uh, read it in English and if you've ever tried to cope with working with more than one language, you know that words do not have exactly the same meaning in different languages. And even when you translate things, the picture you can get can be different. This struck home to me uh, once when I was in Russia in a church service, and there was a song we were singing, which we, I think it was originally written in South Africa, which we sing here, which talks about Jesus being king. In, the, in uh, Russia, that comes out as Jesus is Tsar. Now, my image of a Tsar is very different to my image of a king, in what I would expect. I'm pretty sure a Russian's image of a Tsar would be different from my image of a Tsar. But when we use words, it can affect what we actually think is being said. And repentance is one of these words where the idea which is being conveyed in the Bible can be very different from the idea we have in everyday English. If you look up the word repent or repentance in everyday English, you get the idea of regret uh, and you find it's from the same root as we get the word penitent, which I suppose means that a penitentiary is called that, is because where you put people to regret their crimes, to have time to think over it. And when you look at the way the word repent is used in the Old Testament, it appears to be used very much in that sort of way. But when you come to it in the New Testament, it has a much more 
a much a similar but a subtly different meaning that the main emphasis is to have another mind to change your mind so it's much more not so much looking regretting what was done in the past although there's a still an, must still be an element of that there but it is much more a movement from where you were in the past to change to a different way. And in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what Paul is asking the Christians there to do is to let God trans renew their minds, to transform their minds. I want to have... A initially a fairly quick look through how the New Testament uh, uses the word repent. It comes in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2 where you've got John the Baptist and he is preparing the way for Jesus and he says the following repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that almost is sort of your classic uh, image you sometimes have of a preacher calling out to people, you know, that they need to repent from their sins. Then going on in Matthew, in chapter 11, we find that Jesus also uses uh, that uh, word when he comes to verse 20. But here he's talking, uh, he's talking about uh, the Jewish people in the towns and cities he's been to. And Jesus says then, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Which might be just as a slight aside, something worthwhile for us to consider as we're looking at uh, seeing the Holy Spirit working out in the church, that when Jesus did many miracles, it didn't necessarily cause people to come to repentance. Now, when people were self-satisfied with their own lives, were thinking that they got everything sorted out, Jesus could do miracles and it had no effect on people. Obviously, we also know from other passages in the Bible that when he did miracles, it did have effects on people. But it's not going to automatically have an effect on everybody uh, straight away. And then equally, when we go into Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we find here... Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit has come down on the, uh, the uh, disciples 
when they were waiting after Jesus had gone back into heaven. And Peter preaches to the people who are saying, you know, uh, what shall we do? Uh, and Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here it's clear that repentance is part of becoming a Christian. Because part of becoming a Christian is moving away from the way we were living our lives before and turning to Jesus' way, turning to follow Jesus. But repentance is just not just something which applies when we become a Christian. It's something which also applies through our, our Christian life as well. A bit later in Acts, in chapter 8, we find that Philip goes out of the Jewish area into Samaria and starts preaching there. And in Samaria, there's this person who's usually described as Simon the Magician, who had been doing all kinds of uh, marvellous things and people were following. Philip comes, Simon sees what Philip is doing, hears what Philip is preaching, and we're told in verse 13 that even Simon himself believed, and after being baptised, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So we're told that he had believed he had been baptised. But later, when Peter and John come down, and uh, pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he sees that happening, he then wants to be able to do this himself. He then offers them money so that he can get the ability to do this. And we then find in verse 22 that Peter tells him, after telling him that, you know, uh, that's not the way uh, God does things, uh, it says, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So although he's believed and been baptised, there's still things in his thinking from his old way of life which haven't changed and which he needs to repent of and turn around his thinking into the uh, way that uh, is appropriate for somebody who's a Christian. Though, whether he did or not, hard, we can't tell just from that passage. But there was obviously something which, though he had, as, as far as we can see, earlier on become a Christian, there's still things deep in him which he hasn't yet changed. And when we become Christians, God changes a lot in us, but there can still be things deep within us which still need to be changed on an ongoing basis. Another place where repentance is talked about, referring to Christians in the Bible, is in Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 in the letters to the uh, churches there. 
I won't go through all the detail. I might probably send out the references with, uh, well, actually, we won't have questions, but I'll probably send out the references so you can check it up. But if you basically need to read all of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to get these bits. But what we find is out of these seven churches, five of them are told that there are things they need to repent of. Ephesus is told it needs to repent of abandoning their first love. Pergamon and Thyatira are told they need to repent of sexual immorality, or things which are implied connected to that. Sardis is told that it needs to repent because it's spiritually asleep and almost dead. And Laodicea needs to repent because it's lukewarm and the picture used, you know, if you've got a drink, you either want it hot or cold, you don't really want it lukewarm. So they have all these things they need to repent of. <coughs> the two which aren't told they need to repent are two churches which are undergoing persecution, which is an interesting uh, thought. You know, that when there's persecution, you know where you stand. Because if you are not committed, you're not going to stick in a church when there's persecution. But what this seems to imply to me is that there's this danger of drift. There's this danger. If you look out, out of the five things they're told to repent of, three of them are churches where people have been strong, if you like, in following God to begin with, and then they've let it drift. They no longer love God in the way they did to begin with. They're sort of falling asleep spiritually. They're becoming lukewarm. So it brings me back to the bit I started with from Romans and chapter 12. And again, remember, Paul is talking to Christians here, where he says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world. Now, in all those cases in Revelation, the danger is that the people had allowed everyday thinking to come and take the, the place of uh, proper thinking uh, in a Christian way. And, you know, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to continually transform our thinking, I think we will drift at best into lukewarmness, if not into direct sin. Now when I was preparing uh, this week, it's been one of the, the sermons which has been sort of at one side very easy to prepare, and on the other side very difficult. It, at one level, it was easy to prepare because, uh, you know, well, as I've just gone through the scriptures, what the scriptures teach is straightforward. It's difficult to prepare because you can't prepare something on this without getting really challenged about where you are. And 
I think, I was going to say this at the beginning, but I didn't, but, so I'll say it now. I, I think it's one of these situations where obviously where it affects people is different. You know, where our thinking needs to change is going to be different for different people. It's going to depend on our history, you know, both in life generally. It's going to depend on what our experiences of church have been. It's going to depend on all kinds of different things. But I think all of us, all the time, have issues where we need to be ready to repent and transform our thinking. Some, some things it's relatively easy, some things it's more embedded. And sometimes I think, oh, where we got so if you have something which is deeply embedded in the way you think, usually you're not necessarily aware of it. Sometimes you are, but often you're not, because it's so embedded, it's just normal. So sometimes it actually needs somebody to bring a word from God for you to actually open your eyes to what the situation really is. Now I'm not talking here in the context of where we think you know, we know what somebody else's problem is. I think as I go on, for the, for the last bit, a lot of it is God speaks to us about what our problem is. And so, I'll come into it in a moment, but that's one thing God's been speaking to me on, and, you know, several times when I've been preparing, I've just sort of found I've ended up just sitting, not quite staring into space for about an hour. But, you know, it's, it's not... But because it requires a change in the way we think, it's not easy. Because we usually think the way we do because we quite like thinking the way we do. And so therefore, if we're going to change, it's going to have to change something which we actually quite like. And it's always a lot easier to see things which need to change in other people than to see things which need to change in us. Far easier. So I think one thing is what I'd like you do be open as we go through the rest of what I speak and to into the worship time afterwards for God to speak to you with something opening up to, into your mind something which you know you need to put right where you need to change your thinking but if something comes to you and you know it doesn't apply to you, it could be that God's giving you a word because there's somebody else here who needs to hear it. So do be prepared, if that's the case, to actually come and share that later. Because there might be somebody here who needs to hear that bit and, you know, God needs you to actually bring it. So please be open to that. Now I know Sam's mentioned that the sort of a lot of the impetus to what we're doing at the moment has come from what Simon Holly was saying at uh, the uh, prayer and equipping last autumn. He said when they were looking uh, to into these things in his church, he said that at the beginning he felt that 
you know, if you said, I've got a word from God, you know, there's somebody here with a head, nobody would respond to it. You know, but he said that, in a sense, there are such levels of unbelief that God could actually speak. I don't think we're there. You know, we know that God speaks. We've had people bring words which have opened up things. So let's be ready uh, to uh, respond. I think for myself, when I was preparing this, the thing which came to me when I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but sort of uh, when I was sort of finalising things this morning, I think I'm very attracted to lukewarmness. You know, I think I actually feel quite comfortable being lukewarm. You know, it's okay, you don't necessarily want to drink a lukewarm drink, although I've been known to drink lukewarm tea, but on the other hand, sort of lukewarm is, can be quite comfortable. And, you know, it, with Ephesus, the challenge was, do you return to your first love, which you've fallen away from? And to, if you ask me, I'd say, yes, I do want my first love for God, for Jesus. I do want to see the Holy Spirit moving through me in the way that I know has happened in the past. And I suppose if you ask me why, I'd say, well, I'd like the excitement of it. You know, where every, things were, seemed new and God seemed to be uh, doing things which, you know, you just didn't expect before. But then when I think about it a bit more, I think, well, do I actually want <coughs> the challenge of it? Do I want something which could potentially disrupt a fairly comfortable lifestyle? It's not an easy thing to actually, which is why I sort of spent a long time on it. I don't think I've really resolved things in my own mind yet. But it's something, that I think the first question is, are we, am I, are we? willing to let our minds be transformed and brought into line with God's way of thinking? Or do we want to keep things all nice and neat and our way? When Sam was preparing some outlines for this, he, he had a list of things which could be things which we find get in the way of us thinking God's way. Things like unbelief, cynicism, fear. That we'll come back to in more detail in a later week. Wrong thinking about the nature of God. How we see ourselves. Comparing ourselves to other people. Self-reliance. 
which I think can be a big thing in our culture. Judgmental attitudes. Now, some of those things might affect you, 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 some of them might not. Some to a bigger extent, some to a lesser extent. (coughs) But the first question really is, are we willing to let God change our minds? James speaks to the early Christians on this in chapter 4. I'm going to be quite a long section of that because I think we need the context. Uh, So it's uh, James chapter 4 from verses 1 to 10. Again, remember he's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to people outside the church. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Notice in verse 8. It starts, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Then goes on to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, if we draw near to God, we find that he is actually already, well, he's already drawn us to him. He's drawing close to us. So therefore, we can repent we can allow God to change the way we think and to turn around. Could the band come up? What I'd like to do to bring things to a close is to take us through a bit of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. I'll I'll read the bits out. Just to, you know, as far as you are able and willing to now, just join with me. I might at one or two points ask if you wish to, to repeat the words I say.
but it's up to you. Uh, there was a bit which I didn't uh, include in my main preparation, so I've therefore mislaid the rest. Here we go. Fortunately, just on the previous page, I'll just turn to it. In Peter, in his second letter, in chapter 3 and verse 9, says the following. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, it reminds us that God gives us time to repent. If we think that God is slow in doing something, it could be because he's giving more time. But in 1 John, John says the following. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As, he, as John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. So, let's just spend a short time just to... Any sins we are aware that we have committed in things we've done and thought, let's just confess them to God now. And if we know there's been situations in which we have chosen not to let our minds be transformed, but chosen to continue thinking our own way, let's confess those now as well. Lord, we thank you that you said in your word that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sins. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that at the cross you took the punishment for all our sins. We thank you that you have put your Holy Spirit within us and that you have continued to work in us day by day Lord we don't want to continue deliberately going our own way but Lord we ask that you would change the way we think Lord open our minds to places where we need to change the way we think thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to bring renewal and change and we ask that over these coming days and these coming weeks, that as you 
reveal stuff to us that we would respond to you a daily living sacrifice as we let your spirit change us from one degree of glory to another as Lord we allow you to bring our thinking into line with your thinking Amen